Hello, this is Dan Chagru, and welcome to the More Art Than Science podcast, where I explore the relationship between music and commerce by talking to musicians, mostly guitarists, about how they got their start and how they make ends meet. Goran Ivanovich is a frequent collaborator with last week's More Art Than Science guest, Fareed Hawk. The two of them together form an unlikely pair, Fareed with gray-speckled hair and an easy smile, and Goran with jet-black hair and a more intense stare. Within, meetings, within minutes of meeting both of them, I was struck by how close they were to one another. Jokes, knowing glances, and eventually guitar riffs seemed to flow between them, as though they were brothers as opposed to two men nearly a generation apart who grew up in different countries and cultures. What brings them together, I suppose, is the Chicago music scene where every genre and every style is present, though not necessarily in a melting pot, but rather in a jangling battle of musical neighborhoods. Goran's playing is nothing if not unique. He's classically trained and he plays a nylon string fingerstyle guitar, and the music he makes is somewhere between jazz, Balkan folk, and classical guitar. The pump house where we met and where Goran gave a masterclass is a unique structure. One side of the structure is a guitar maker studio, or luthier studio. The air smells of small dust, of sawdust, and features dozens of guitars in various states of completion hanging from the ceiling. The other half is a remarkably dust-free performance hall, with a stage and a room to seat about 120 guests. The window panes are small and leaded, and the walls are made of stone. I interviewed Goran in the middle of the day and in the middle of the Rhode Island Guitar Fest. And for all of the unique charm of the setting, I was a bit disappointed that we were not able to secure a room in which to record. The end result, which you're about to hear, will give you an ambient feel as you hear the various participants in the festival in the background throughout the interview. Please enjoy. Okay, here we are at the University of Rhode Island Guitar Festival. I'm here with Goran Ivanovich. Goran, say hello to the program. Hello, my friends. So, Goran, uh, maybe we'll just start with your history. At what point did you start playing an instrument, and, and then at what point guitar? Well, I started when I was about six. I, I remember going to a friend's house who was maybe like two years older than, than, than I was, and he played, he played some, you know, some, some guitar for me, and I was like, what is that? that that's, that's really awesome. And he played that. He taught me, you know, it was probably like half an hour of him and I playing together, but he nice. taught me a song, um, which is, uh, I think it's it's like a Peruvian folk song. Um, where, where were you at the time? I was in Croatia. I, uh, I, I grew up in Croatia in mm-hmm. Osijek, small town. Mm-hmm. And so that same day I went, I went back home and, you know, by, and my father was a professional musician, guitarist, and I played a song for him and he was like, oh, we got to, we gotta take you to a music school like tomorrow. Nice. Know? So that 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 was the first um, int- introduction, and you know I, I was six, seven, okay, and started playing classical because that's that's what you start um, when you go to music music school in Croatia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, United States. If you know, if you want to join a high school band, you you gotta do jazz, right? Yep. Um, in Croatia, it was you know. Very sort of European classical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the guitar that your friend played was it nylon string? It was a classical guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there was no pick. It was it was 
you know, right hand, and this is this is how you do it. No, you know, even even if you're playing Beatles, this is how you have to hold your hand. Yeah, you know, from the beginning, playing yeah. with your fingers on your right yeah. hand. Okay, and uh, none of the also American trope of the father saying, "Stop playing that gosh darn guitar," because <laughs> your dad was actually a musician, and so yeah. he encouraged you as opposed to telling you to work on your math instead. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't know how it. I'm I'm sure if I ask my dad now, like. Did you force me or didn't you force me? He he would come up with a you know surprising story, what what happened, <laughs> how it happened. Um I, I think it was just natural. Like I liked the instrument. They never asked me to practice. And uh-huh. I, I just I remember being nine, ten and practicing, you know, yeah. a lot. You know? Okay. So there was no like you must practice no. an hour a day, two no, hours a day. You were just not playing. I think my parents as as I recall now, my parents were like you know, you should leave your room and go play soccer. <laughs> you know, they were, get they outside were, and play. They were worried that yeah. I, I would become, you know, like uh, just a guitar nerd versus, uh-huh. you know, you know, being able to blend in with all the other kids. That's you know? fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So guitar was was life for you, even at a young age, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine, ten. Yeah. You're playing. Okay. And the school you went to at that point, it's American equivalent of elementary school, was. Uh, it was a music school first and foremost. Yes, yeah. It, it okay. was a it was elementary music school, right? Okay. And you would go there for, uh, I guess, four years, and then you would you would graduate and go to like a music high school. Music high school. Yeah. Okay. And was that public or private school? The elementary. This this was public. There, there was really nothing private huh. prior to um, me leaving Croatia in '91. So everything was public. It actually wasn't allowed to have anything privatized. Oh, okay. Because this is the, the socialist Social, history. Socialism, okay, yeah. 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 Okay, so public school up until '91, which is the end of high school or college. So in '91, I moved to Austria, where I I started university. So I, I was uh, 13 when I finished um, elementary music school, and we sort of decide decided that you know I'll. I'll I'll skip high school and, and just go straight to the to university and, and um, you went to university at fourteen at thirteen at thirteen so in, in a different country in in a different country different language and you know I, one of my teachers was Elliot Fisk oh at the time and we know Elliot yeah yes he's he's been around for quite a bit now but yeah that that was you know I, I spent seven years at university. To Mozarteum, studying with Elliot Fisk and Joaquin Clerk, and um, that, that that was it for me as as far as formal studying, formal education. You mean at the end of Vienna, that was it for you? End of okay. Salzburg, yeah. End of Salzburg, yeah. okay. And Austria, there's no. Is there any musical tradition or history in Austria? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. No. They, they really yeah. lack on, on uh, classical yeah, composers. No, yeah. no, I know. Right? It's, no, it's really no, not that no attention paid no. culturally. It's no. it's too bad. It's, it's just very bland. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. Okay, so <laughs> you're growing up in Croatia. Um, your family's financial situation was middle class, upper class, lower class. Um, my mom was a nurse, okay. and my father was uh, was was a musician. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you, you know, Yugoslavia was former Yugoslavia was was kind of ahead of its time because everybody was you know pretty pretty well off. You know, everybody was middle class. Yeah, economy was doing fairly well, and the, yeah, the, the and median I, income was high enough that people could 
play music, I guess, if they wanted. Or yeah, uh, you know, free healthcare, free education. Um, you know, the difference between how much doctor doctor makes and how much nurse makes was very small. Mm. You know, so that taught people to do things out of love versus um, you know wanting more and, yeah. and better and, and faster and you know, with with, with you know. Now that I've been living in a, a, a totally extreme opposite world, uh-huh, a capitalist uh, world, a capitalist in the US, world, yeah. um, you know, I'm like, oh, that was my life back then, and then this is my life right now, and you know, it's, it's. I think for especially for Eastern Europeans, it's it's a very difficult adjust. Uh, you yeah, know? yeah. So yeah, okay. So okay, so you so you went to school in Vienna now. Were was were there financial ramifications of that? Did you have to? Did your family have to pay to get to school in Vienna? No. Uh, uh, well, I mean, we moved, we moved there, so you know, my parents basically decided, you know, uh, you know, just before the the war, the civil war in, in former Yugoslavia, that might be a good idea to leave anyway. Uh, okay. And then this whole guitar thing, and introduction to Elliot Fisk, and and the whole scene at the university was was just like a good good scenario for everybody so right? the whole family moved to the whole fa- oh, family okay. moved to Salzburg and yeah. uh, my mom worked Salzburg. also also as a nurse and my father was uh, you know he, he was fixing instruments okay and so yeah the tuition was free uh, okay perfect and you know I, I gotta say you know every time I went to um, um Competition or a masterclass out of town, you know. Been to Spain probably ten times. Been mm-hmm. all over Germany, all over you know, uh, all over Europe. And the school school supported that. They, wow! They, oh, they, they paid for you to they, travel. They to... paid for me to travel. Awesome! You know, which, that's very cool. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So not not only it was free and and and, and great education, but they also yeah. supported mine. So you you graduated from school in Salzburg at. 18 or yeah. 17 18 no debt no debt and then uh, you That's at very what good point, point yeah. yeah you came to Chicago soon after that or yeah I came to Chicago and I I, I was fooling around with, with the idea to to go to graduate school but you know I think I, I, I even I auditioned to couple schools and I was like even if I get like 70% of the school 80% of the tuition I am I'm still going to owe them you know I don't know how much at the end of this yeah so, so I was I was just like I there's no need for me to go and study yeah. I, I can just keep doing it on my own you know? yeah so so what were your first did, did you immediately start gigging so I'm sorry you came to Chicago at age 18 um, yeah eight, nine, I, 19 19 okay and your first job was Playing guitar, or did you get some other job to pay the rent while you? I was at night, or I had a lot of you know. I, I moved here, and I think a few months after I moved here, I started work playing restaurants. So and sorry to back. So those three, those few months are probably important. You're getting your feet under you. Did you come with anyone from your family, or did you? Who, my where my did you parents stay? moved here ahead of me. Ah, okay. A year ahead of me. So okay, good. M- once they moved here, they were already. Little more established, established, yeah. and you know, so I, I could move around and okay, you know. okay. So are they in the city proper, Chicago proper, or no? We, uh, we lived in suburbs of Chicago. Okay, um, 
And so, so you came, you had a house to live in their house, and then a few months after you came, you found a restaurant gig, essentially. Yeah, which was so. which was kind of like the gig if you were, you know, if, yeah. if this is if you if you're playing classical guitars, you know, solo stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, there there were a couple of restaurants that had 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 a guitarist, and I remember once one place was so hard to get them, you know, like to get a gig in to to get the gig because yeah. it was like. You know, guys were playing there that, you know, they played there for like 10 years already, you know. Mm. And, I, and I remember I called, called one day and they were like, oh, you have to send your demo. So I sent the tape and they were like. And this is just for background music? Yeah, totally it, background yeah. music. But I was yeah. like, you know, working on that for, for a couple of weeks, you know, just, just to get attention, you know. So I sent the demo tape and, and the guy called me back and he's like, I'll take you as my sub. And I was like, yes. Nice. I'll be subbing for, you know, guy chris you know at this italian restaurant you know that <laughs> paid 60 bucks for four hours of playing you was know? that what it was really 60 yeah, bucks for four I, hours i remember wow. it was like i started playing you know i was i was doing like tuesday nights from you know eight to midnight and it was like 60 bucks mm. yeah okay so so <laughs> that's your first gig once a week 60 bucks a week and I was happy. And, and you know? you're, yeah, you're making money. Play, you're a professional at yep. that point. You're yep. a professional musician. Yep. So what, what's the next step from there? Oh, well, the next step is I found another restaurant. And then <laughs> okay. instead of playing one night, I was playing like five nights a week. Okay. And relatively same pay? Like same pay. I, I, I remember, you know, if, if I was playing like five nights a week, I, I, I would bring home like 300, 350 bucks a week. Okay. Right? Which, you know, not, this, this not is like 20, 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I wasn't even 21 and I, you know, I, I had a car and I was bringing home like... Yeah, rent free, no rent. I, I was paying rent oh. with my parents. Oh, good. Good for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah they were very clear about that, you know. <laughs> okay. So, I remember doing that for a very long time. I, I was probably playing, playing restaurants for like three, four years. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was preparing competitions and preparing concerts. Okay. So I remember feeling like so exhausted that I, I had to play the gigs. Mm. And then, you know, in the mornings, I would have to practice because I would have to play, you know, serious repertoire. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I remember that being really, really hard on me and hands and my back. But yeah, um, I slowly tr transitioned from playing, you know, those silly gigs background music mm -hmm. into playing a little more you know concerts but totally different settings you know I, I remember playing concerts at like borders bookstores okay you know, for a while you know yeah but, but at least I, I had like a listening audience right know? they were sitting down yeah facing you and looking and listening yeah, and, yeah, okay. yeah. and so you know that that was a slow long transition before I started how did you know to go to Borders, for example? What was the, you know, and what was the impetus? What drove you to do that? Was it, you know, you're sick of people eating I, while you yeah, play? or sick of restaurants and, you know, how, you know, you know people, people talk, you know, while you're trying to create beautiful music. So yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's it for me. I, I graduated from, from, from this. Now let's do... Now let's do, you know, libraries and borders mm -hmm. and let's do some weddings as well. So I, I joined a wedding band and I was with a, one of the top bands in, in Chicago for probably five, six years. And they would send me on those, you know, 
Wedding, wedding gigs and, and all kinds of arrangements, all kinds of... Was that playing electric for the wedding band? Or? Th- that was playing classical, mostly okay. classical. But, you know, they would come up with, you know, you know, you know, here's the ceremony music and I'd play one, one tune by Sting, one, one movement from Vivaldi, one, you know, one this, one that. And, um, and I, you know, I was making money. I was being professional. And, and at some point when I started making money, playing legit shows and clubs I, I said goodbye to wedding gigs and, and mm-hmm. restaurants and you know I, I, I yeah, haven't yeah. done those in a very long long time now which, which yeah. makes me very happy yeah but when you say clubs I mean I think I don't technically think of as a club as a venue for a uh, classical guitarist so what well I you know this this is the time where, where I started writing my own stuff and I, I was playing more of um <clears throat> stuff that you know is sort of on the edge it's 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 you know as soon as you start branching into other things um you know it's not classical anymore yeah you know okay so yeah into the edge of contemporary or jazzy jazz-ish you know in in my case i was doing a lot of arrangements from you know eastern european folk music right okay Uh, but i would also incorporate improvisation into right mm-hmm. so as soon as you you start improvising on a classical guitar they say well you're his jazz his <laughs> right. um, but yeah. I, I don't use pick you know and I, I, everything is the same that i'm doing same guitar yeah it's the same guitars yeah. same everything except i arrange my own stuff and i also tend to do improvised sections cool right okay. in, you know either in the middle of the piece or some introductions or some you know so. okay and so so today how many years removed are we from uh first getting to chicago um so chicago at 97 um so i mean suburbs suburbs of chicago first but i've been living in the city for i would say you know 15, 14 15 years okay yeah. so all right so so we, we got from wedding gigs to you know you're, you're beginning to play clubs because you're pushing the limits of what a classical guitar could do and they've and whoever's in charge of booking these gigs yeah. is is happy that that's original enough and entertaining enough that that you can get people in the door, which I assume you are doing. Yeah. Uh, and and then does it? Where does it progress from there? You're playing clubs still today in Chicago, or is it yeah, and, and and some some of the same clubs that I you know I, I remember I, I played this club. It was it was really awesome because they had they were sort of like the world music club in town so they would have you know lo- local local jazz ensembles but they would also you know they were the first people to bring uh, a lot of very famous you know what would now we say world music stars from eastern eastern europe like gypsy ensembles and stuff like that mm. you know so the club was very eclectic it was called the hot house it's mm. still still going on in some way but uh, there was this wonderful lady marguerite who ran it and I met her, and she liked what I was doing, and she started giving me uh, spots every, you know, once a month, every two months. Mm. And um, you know, they had a they had a very interesting lineup all the time. So they created this trust with the audience that you know, more or less everything that she she would get will be interesting for for the crowd. Right? Yeah, so it's like a good record label or someone that you trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that sort of uh, there, there was a very good 
starting point because um, I remember one, one, you know, first few times that I that I played there, uh, and I was still in my early twenties. I, I remember playing there for the first time, and it was like two hundred fifty people. Nice. And you know, tickets were like twelve dollars, fifteen dollars, and I, I remember going home with like three thousand dollars in cash. Nice. Okay. And being like, oh my god, this is yeah. insane. You know? Okay. Yeah, so Chicago seems like it's better for that kind of thing in general. There's just there's just more music happening and more yeah. people interested in music for whatever reason. I, I don't know if that's... It, I wonder sometimes if that's... I hope that it's replicable in other cities, but I, and that maybe has something to do with the history of the blues sort of coming up from the Delta and settling in Chicago in many ways. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's all, all kinds of elements, but, but also keep in mind that you have a huge... European population in Chicago. Yeah, but you do in Boston as well, right? And there's yeah. not nearly as many places to play in Boston, or at least that's my sense. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I think, you know, just the way Chicago is set up, you know, it's it's like long uh, along the river. Yeah. And, and all these neighborhoods are very, very authentic. And, and some people never leave their neighborhood because their, you know, neighborhoods are so huge. Mm. And, you know, if you're if you're living up north, there are clubs that you go to. If you're li- living downtown, there are clubs that you mm-hmm. will go to. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean. Well, so at any rate, so you, the hot house is, on a good night, is giving you 3K in cash. And yeah. that's, uh, and there are enough clubs that are that size-ish, 200, 300 people, where uh, someone with your talents can play is, is it your only source of income today playing oh i, I teach full-time oh you I, teach full-time okay i, I teach yeah. full-time but it, i've structured my my life that you know i used to tour you know i would go on the road and you know be on the road for like four weeks straight mm. um all over what the nationally and within the u.s or within the u.s and you know the world you know we I played a lot of a lot of gigs in in um in, in Europe, all over Europe. So at, at that point, did you you had to find yourself an agent? I assume an agent was booking these gigs for you. Well, you? what I'm talking about specifically now, I was I was uh, I founded a band called Eastern Block. Okay. And it was drums, acoustic bass, saxophone, and guitar. Awesome. And I used um, I used that Bultiak Godin guitar mm-hmm. with some effects, but you know, still playing, you know. Mm-hmm. Fingerstyle, fingerstyle, classical. classical you know? yeah. But the music was um, music was exciting because it was just before that wave of you know when everybody started loving Balkan music. You know, Balkan music explosion was you know in in United States. I don't know, sometime like ten years ago with with bands like uh, Google Bordello, mm. and then you know Goran Bregovic got very famous in the States. And, and so a lot of bands started doing, um, you know, Eastern European jazz, you know, mm. Balkan jazz, you know. But I, I remember what, when we started that band, there, there was really no other band that, that had that kind of in- instrumentation and that kind of focus on, on, on music and, and, and sticking within that uh, specific style of Eastern mm. European music. So the band took off and we were, quite popular in, in, you know, sort of the, the world music market, jazz market, and did a lot of educational stuff, a lot of clubs, a lot of performing arts centers, a lot of everything. 
for awesome. yeah more than ten years. Okay. Yeah. And at that time, you weren't teaching; you were just touring. I or? was just touring. Okay, yeah, that, that was my that yeah. was my hundred percent income. Yeah. yeah, and and so that that ends, and now you're teaching by choice. You'd rather teach than tour, or you you. Well, sort of... you know, I've 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 done long long tours, and uh, you know, I mean, people who have done it know know what it is. You know, it's 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 really hard to, you know. Do other things when you're on the road. Even mm-hmm. if, if you say to yourself, "All right, I'll I'll read a book, or, or you know, I'm I'm gonna write some music, or I'm gonna do some work for something else," it's just really hard because yeah. you know you're on the road, you're in the car, and there's three other smelly dudes, <laughs> and you know, it's just okay. it's tough to be alone, and it's tough to get stuff done. So yeah, you know. Okay, so you're back home now, and, and you're teaching privately. You're teaching at, at some sort of institution. I'm, I'm teaching in a private school, um, so I, I I teach kids between ages six and twelve mostly. And that's like guitar, classical guitar, or is it theory? It's everything? classical guitar. I, I do some ensemble. I do some some chamber music, um, but yeah, all, all my kids are classical, and, and you know, I follow certain books, and you know. They have to practice scales and arpeggios, and we work on chords, and you know. So it's, you know, I I, I want my kids to be able to play, you know, chords for you know certain songs, mm-hmm. but our structure is based on on you know classical guitar mm-hmm. repertoire. So so like Bach and some of the stuff. From yeah, Central, Central I mean, I I use um, uh, I think it's called Royal Conservatory books that has. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ten levels, yep. and it's usually just one page. You know, let's say there's there's a second movement of Cathedral in in book number four. That that early, huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you know, a lot of like a lot of kids now are working on some short Domenicone pieces and stuff like this. So nice. for children, it's really nice to be exposed from you know from Renaissance to modern and and. You know, when I talk to the kids about, oh, this was written in Spain, you know, 150 years ago, it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, cool for them. Yeah, yeah. So, how how about recorded music? Do you have so Eastern Bloc has CDs that are out? It's how how much recorded music do you have out there, and to what extent can you rely on sales of CDs, vinyl if it exists for you, Spotify, iTunes. I mean, I, I I still sell CDs. I still I still make them, and you know, with Eastern Bloc, I did three records, and meaning CDs or records, meaning CDs, vinyl or CDs, or CDs, yeah. And you know, two of them were, you know, just recorded digitally. The third one, I I wanted to do. Um, forget it. No, the old way of recording with a tape. Oh, okay, with, yeah, with yeah, a tape machine. Analog, analog, yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I I remember being, you know, sort of dissatisfied with the sound of like first record, second record, and I was like, okay, let's let's do this with a tape. But then I was a little bit dissatisfied with the his sound, you know, because it, you always <laughs> hear that, you know, that that mm-hmm. kind of bothered me. But I remember doing a first record, and you know, maybe like six months later, you know, I, I pressed like thousand CDs, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, see, this is, this is what kind of person I am, you know, I come up with the music, record it, 
press 1,000 CDs and go on the road for like three months, you know? Yep. And I remember, you know, I sold like 1,000 CDs in the first six months and I go back to to the person I was pressing it and they were like, what? Like, no, no, nobody presses CD <laughs> twice. <laughs> he's like, so I've, I've never had some success, yeah. He was like, I've never seen that before. And wow. like, he's like, bands press CD and I never see them again, you know? I was like, really? Hmm. Okay, well, let, let me let me push this even further. So, you know... I, that, that first pressing, you had no label. You were just simply selling on your own. On I, I was shopping with the labels and, you know, who was who was I back then? Like, first record, you know? Yeah. So, you Did know, you go back to them and say, okay, I sold a thousand of these. Do you want to cut and try to support another... No. What, what happened is I, I, one, of my, one of my friends... Um, he was a lawyer and he did deals for a lot of people, um, like a lot of rock bands. And, and, and so he was telling me, I'll come to the show with a rap from Nansach. Mm-hmm. And his, his pitch uh, to the label was, they're playing at the Metro, which is one of the biggest clubs in, in Chicago that, that holds like 1,200 people. And mm-hmm. he was like, there's this jazz band that is headlining, you know, biggest rock club mm. on a Saturday night in Chicago. And those guys draw a lot of people. So you have to check it out. And I remember there, there was a lot of discussion with, with Nansach. And they were like, we don't know how to market this. This is <laughs> sort of strange. Classical guitar, drums, saxophone, and the music is... This doesn't fit into our preconceived notions of what music is. Yeah, and I understand, like, it would be really hard to to promote that. You know, like, is this for jazz? Is this for classical? Who would like this, you know? So... So they didn't come? No, they came, but they were like, yeah, we don't know what to do with this. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just do it myself. And I I remember I I pressed, like, 5,000 CDs of that first record. And then I was like, wait a second. I sold 5,000. That's, like... I don't have to pay taxes on that. <laughs> um, I was selling CDs you know, for fifteen dollars, nice, wow. and <clears throat> you know, it took like two years to, to sell five thousand CDs. But I was like, I don't need a label. Yeah. Why would I share my money with, with sure. somebody? Yeah, who, no. What you were do doing was, was working. Yeah. yeah. Did, did, within the band, were there any? Was there any acrimony about how to split that revenue? I mean, did, like, were you the songwriter? Or? Uh, I, I was the songwriter, and we had a system where, um, you know, we were always talking like, "Oh, what will happen if one of our tunes gets picked up by whatever yeah. TV show?" Yeah. And so we had a clear deal. You know, if I wrote a song, I would get like eighty percent of the royalties, and the rest would be split. Uh, mm-hmm. With them as as sort of like a ranger, so everybody had a had a cut. Um, but basically, all the CD money we never we never split, so it was always put on the side, and oh. that went into our projects. Oh, you reinvested it in the band? We absolutely every dime that I've made in that every every CD that I've sold in that band was put in a bank, and later used for. You know, posters to, uh, to promote the show, publicity, or, yeah, or uh, for the future agents, CDs, future uh, future okay. recordings. You know, I mean, I remember our my second CD got to be quite exp- expensive. So I, you know, I was like, oh, good, 
good thing I was saving money from yeah. the first record because you know second record that I made cost me like almost ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So it was a good system. I mean, you know, we felt safe because you know we were on the road nonstop, and we could stay in nice places. You know, yeah. of course, trying to save money, but. Uh, it was a good good system to yeah. to sort of stick with, you know. So the, li- the the money that you lived off of was the money from the gigs, and yeah. that was just split uh, four ways, most four or. Yeah, I, now that you bring it up, I think we were making. We would put all the CD money and like we would take first twenty percent of the gig money and put that into a bank, piggy, oh, wow. piggy bank as well. Nice. So four of us would work on you know you know split 80 percent mm-hmm. equally right it's amazing but yeah, then i yeah. came up with a i came up with a different scenario i was like it's a lot of work to to book gigs and i was booking a, a lot of a lot of shows you know mm-hmm. like hundreds and hundreds of gigs before i started implementing uh 10 to the person who books the gig <laughs> smart okay good yeah. i mean and fair, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah that is a lot. It ended up that's a lot of work. You know, bigger we were yeah. getting. I mean, this band never, never got like really big, of course. But within, you know, what we were doing, you know, we did it well, and we had people everywhere we went. Yeah, and like I said, we had a system that just worked. Like, yeah, okay, before every tour, there's, you know, we hired a publicist, we hired, you know, a lot of people to to make this happen, right? What were you, what did you pay up your publicist and and who else did the publicist work with? Do you know, like in other words, did they have like ten bands that they were promoting? Or? Yeah, I remember working with um, sort of like a publicist uh, media company in Chicago. I forget the name now, but um, even then they had some famous famous Chicago bands. Um, they were doing Andy McKee and Don Ross, and so yeah. there were a lot of guitar acts, but then a lot a lot of uh, rock bands. She had this band called Oh My God that hit quite a bit of success. So, uh, you know, it, she, you know, this publicist she did a lot of rock bands, but then she also did a lot of like solo guitar acts mm-hmm. and some jazz, and it was very good for us. I, I remember going on the road and doing ten shows straight that had a write up. In some way nice yeah did you do does she ever get get you on the radio as well like yeah local stations okay. yeah and I, I also had a system with her you know we we paid her a small monthly fee mm-hmm. what's small like a few hundred bucks I think it was like four or five hundred dollars okay. on a on a monthly yeah uh, monthly basis but then if she would get there was an incentive if she would get a write-up she would get like 50 bucks extra or something like that. Okay, this. good. Yeah, so, there, so it's, there's an incentive. And did you get to the to the level of detail of, you know, hey, if it's a write-up in, like, the the free, you know, weekly that's on the subway, that doesn't count as much as if it's a write-up in, like, the main newspaper in town? Or Yeah, I mean, I mean she did she, she did really well for us. And I, and I remember, like, you know, it was so hard to, first of all, get a gig in New York City. And it was really hard to get like a small write-up in Time Out New York or yeah, New York well, Times. A, sure. And I remember she, you know, we played, there was a club in, in Manhattan called um, Satala back, back like 15 years ago. Mm. And she got a, she got us like a Time Out Critics Pick. 
Wow. And I was like, oh my God, this is, for New York, this is huge, yeah. you know, for, you know, being from Chicago, that, that was, that was yep. awesome. So, yeah, so was there some sort of financial reward for that? That I mean, uh, I mean, beyond the 50 bucks? I, I can't remember now, but, you know, I remember, you know, I'm a type of person like, you know, if I'm talking to a publicist, I'm like, this is what I want and this is what's important for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be on this. I want to be on that. Yeah. I'll pay you $5,000 if you put me on this show, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, cer- certain things are not going to make sense for me in, in terms of publicity. Right. Um, so I, I was, you know, I, I've always felt like I knew how, how much, um, you know, critics pick time out New York with me. Yeah. If, you know, let's say that means like, thousand dollars right now mm-hmm. in, in terms of some kind of reward yeah know? yeah um so but that that's you know that's why we had her on on a monthly basis and and if she did really well she made more money okay you know so it added you, up and I, I remember you know she had like 10 clients i, I remember there were a month where you know i'm writing a check for like 1500 bucks just just to publicity machine you know mm-hmm. just because a lot of things were happening right any promotion besides PR work that you, did you guys do? I mean, you, you mentioned posters and stuff like that, but oh, we did a lot of stuff. We did shirts, and God, you know, I, I pressed so many shirts and I sold so many shirts, but they were pain in the ass because <laughs> heavy. You know, it was like difficult to carry, difficult to yeah. store, and then this one person would come and they need like extra, extra, extra small, and then one person needs extra, extra, extra large, There's and I could have been there selling CDs, but I'm, you know, <laughs> trying to find the shirts, and, you know, the shirts were expensive to make, and, you know, the, you know, but that, that was one tool to kind of, you know, promote the, the brand. You yeah, know, yeah. The brand was Eastern Block, and yeah, yeah. so the shirt had this uh, sort of like a broken star, mm-hmm. you know, and it was kind of like Eastern European, communist, but broken, you know? Yeah, that's it was, cool. It was playing on, on those words. So all kinds of promotions. We had email list, and we had a street team. You know, everything that indie rock bands are doing now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Except, you know, we were not like a savage rock band. We were like educated classical jazz musicians. So everything had to be very structured, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I, w- I want to be respectful of your time. So maybe w- two two more quick questions. So one is just uh, the stuff that you uh, recorded. Is it available now on Spotify, I- Apple Music, etc.? It and is. You- it's it's everywhere. Do you um, do you? I talked to a, a lot of musicians about Spotify. Do you understand how Spotify pays you? Do they pay you at all? They pay me. I mean, it's 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 a joke. But you know, I I, I, I don't I don't know. I I I've had this system for a while. You know, if, if I put out a record today, it's just going to be available on iTunes and, you know, physical copies, right? Okay, so just because you know Apple's getting rid of the downloaded iTunes, they say, within three years. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's 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 where everything is going. Every, everything is going to be like yeah. shareable content. Um, but, but anyway, I, you were saying, so you, just the physical CD or the, the downloaded digi- file? Digital download. No streaming for, for your For like a stuff. year. And then after a year, I oh. would, I would release oh, that's it on cool. Spotify. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's 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 a nice platform to see how, you know, you, on Spotify you can be viewing, you know, you you can see the database where people are listening to. You. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you, you mean ge geographically, you can see where your fans are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And then you can maybe set up a gig there. Yeah, well, that's kind of the idea, and I've, I've done that. It doesn't always like work the way you expect it, but um, I think there is, you know, there is some there are some very good platforms, and uh, you know, like Spotify in, in theory is is amazing, but you know, I, I guess the CEO is making billion dollars a year. And that's that's just. Well, they just went public. Yeah, I don't I don't know what he's making. I don't. He's not making a billion a year. But yeah, they, I, the IPO was just. Uh, well, by the time the podcast comes out, they'll be public. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how much the CEO got out of that. But yeah, so that's maybe inherent. Feels unfair. Um, and certainly, what I've heard is that it's zero point zero 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 eight cents per stream. Yeah. Which. I mean, in a radio context, it seems like an absurdly small amount. But if it's yeah. an ind one individual listening once, maybe not so ridiculous. Yeah. But then you think, well, a relatively well-known player like Derek Gripper, who we just heard today, has twenty-four thousand monthly listeners. That's eighty bucks a month. I mean, you know, it's something. It's something, yeah. 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 But it's definitely not enough to live on, obviously. Yeah. So you know, the money is coming from. Performances and teaching, I guess, is yeah the bottom line. Yeah, there. absolutely. I mean, that that part of the business will will have to you know eventually balance out, and you know, yeah. people are asking for more for you know more rights, more 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 money, basically. Artists, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Do and you see the industry moving that way, bending towards artists? It, it will have to be because you know, as we see, you know, every, everything is about sharing. You know, car sharing, sharing. Mm. Uh, this sharing that you know so it, it, people will will get used to not not owning much of the stuff of course the, the, there will always be people who you know like vinyl and, and mm -hmm. are very specific but uh, eighty percent of the people you know listen listen to music on their you know computers and, and Alexas and yeah you yeah know. would you consider if if somebody came to you and said like hey you know, there's a hardcore, there's a small but hardcore, passionate base of Eastern Bloc supporters still out there, and they like vinyl. Mm -hmm. You press, would you press a limited edition, you know, vinyl LP with original artwork? You know, that's you know the way that a print artist would say, like, you know, here's print number one of one hundred. You can have one hundred vinyls, mm -hmm. and they're each a hundred bucks, or two hundred bucks, or a thousand bucks. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, that that's always an idea. Um, I, I don't like to look back. I, I see people sure. do it all the time. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, very, maybe with a future disc, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'd like you know, Farid and I have we did two records, one in two thousand and one in two thousand three, and those were on a label and and. Um, we're always talking about re-releasing them, and, and we just bought the rights from the record company back. Um, so that that's something you know we, we might want to do that because with those two CDs that we did, um, it's like most people that that ask me for stuff, they're like, "Oh, are you still doing? You know, can I still get seven votes or seven votes?" Those are the ones on, that are yeah, okay, yeah. Know? So yeah, maybe I I'd rather just do a brand new disc, brand new um, record and, and do vinyl next time as well. All right, last question. That's a two-part question. Mm -hmm. One, it, what, what's a band or artist to whom you're listening today other than, you know, yourself? <laughs> uh, and then two, what would you like outro music to be 
for to people who haven't heard you play, what's mm -hmm. the thing that I can play for them that you're most proud of oh. uh, in this moment? Well, I mean, you know, I just, well, not just, two years ago I did a, a trio record mm -hmm. where, see, all, all the stuff that I've done with, with all the projects, you know, the, the Eastern Block, the, I had a duo with another guitarist, we also have two records with Farid. Um, yeah. So it, it was a collaboration. So I, I would play, you know, one of my tunes and one of one of Farid's tunes, and so, so it's always co collaboration in terms of you know writing and arranging, right? Yeah. But the, my latest trio record, I wrote every, every single thing and I mm -hmm. arranged everything myself, which was a good challenge. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So which and which which tune off of that? Oh, let's say there's a tune called the the opening track is uh, called Alvarada Americana. Alvarada Americana. Okay. Yeah. And so, any story behind that that you want me to tell before we go to Alvarada Americana? Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to write a song that that sort of had that like American, you know, American roots music. You know, sort of like a pop American tune that has, you know, like that groove, you know. But, but of course, it became something totally different, you uh -huh. know. But that was sort of the starting point. Like, oh, if I could write something that's kind of like, have that yeah. like backbone riff groove, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, everything I imagine... You know, it turns out it's turned upside down. Yeah. Upside down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, what about other artists? Who are you listening to these days? Oh, you know, like Cheese. You know, I, I Cheese. <laughs> there's this great band called Cheese. No, there, there's String Cheese Incident. That's a great band. Okay. Um, a lot, a lot of stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm blanking now, but I, I can tell you, you know, last few performances that I went. You know, I. I yeah, Who's the last band you saw? Um, you know. I opened up for um, uh, guy. Who's the guy who plays with Dave Matthews? Tim Reynolds. Tim Reynolds. Okay. Um, and I've heard of him. You know, you know some stuff with Dave Matthews, and I was like, yeah, I don't really like this. But the guy was awesome. Mm. He played, you know, electric guitar in a trio setting, all instrumental. It was like that was really fun. You know, cool. it was like power yeah. trio, and I, I was really, really blown away. Um, I saw Stanley Clark recently, the bass player. Nice, yeah. Um, so Vicente Amigo. And this is all in a relatively small setting in Chicago, so it's always nice to... There's so much great music, you know. If, yeah. if, if you have time and, and you're you're willing to... Again, you know, this story of, like, connection to a place, to a club, that if you trust the programming, you can go and, and find a lot of great music, so... Cool. Let's end on that note. And we'll, we'll go out to Alvarada Americana. Yes. All right. Excellent. Thank you very Thank much, Juan. It's a pleasure. Cheers. We are about to wrap things up here at the More Art Than Science podcast. But before we do, allow me to beseech you. If you like this podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Doing so helps others find the show, which in turn helps the artists that I interview find more fans which in turn helps fill the world with more and better music. Do your bit!